y'all were wondering what I was doing, I was going through the pretense of worrying about the time. Um, got the clock running right there, and uh, so that way I can keep up with uh, my 37 minutes that I'm allowed by Brother Smithy over here. And uh, great to see Brother Ryan with us this morning and the good work that they are doing through Toll Star. And I'm glad to see all of you. And the subject matter that we'll be address- addressing this morning is one that uh, is important. And we need to be thinking about what efforts we're putting forth as older men to help train younger men and to teach our young boys to be men. And I think a lot of times in the church, our problem is we think things are just going to naturally occur. We think if we bring our children and we bring them to service, then naturally they're going to have a desire to obey the gospel. We just assume that natural processes are going to take place, and that's not the case. We can't assume that. We've got to make sure that we're doing everything we can to instill within our children right paths and right principles so that they'll be able to make those decisions when they get here. And to all of our young men in the audience, I'm thankful for you being here this morning, and I pray that we say some things that will be helpful to you. And if you're following along in the book, then you know that we're going to be dealing with three subjects really, or three points. We'll be dealing with culture, and then we'll be dealing with clarity, and then we'll be dealing with consequences. If we fail to teach our young men to be men, are there any consequences to endure? We know that's to be the case. So let's turn our attention now to the idea of by way of introduction. Go to 1 Kings chapter 2 with me, if you would be so kind. In 1 Kings chapter 2, we have David is telling his son Solomon that he is about to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. But then he also gives some admonitions and some charges to his son. When you look in verse number 2, and let's read these four verses together, then we'll come back, make some comments, and then I want to... Um, Remind you that this is a workshop, it's not a lecture, it's not a sermon. I look forward to any comments you have. Raise your hand, stop me, um, get my attention somehow, because I look forward to your comments. But notice 1 Kings chapter 2. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged or commanded Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill His word, which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, He said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now we know that in the latter part of this context, there are some promises that are made to David. Uh, Earlier, you go back to 2 Samuel 7, and you can read that context. And then there is also the statement, as we are introduced to this, that David is about to die. And now he's charging his son, now you need to prove yourself to be a man. Verse 3, he's identifying how this is to take place. 
And it's simply in a nutshell we could sum it up by saying you are to obey everything that God has commanded you to do. And then, out of your obedience, then the kingdom and David would say even our lineage is going to prosper with always having one to sit upon the throne. Now let's examine this for a few moments having just briefly set a context for ourselves. And now let's make application to us as we see the significance of teaching our young men, our young boys, to be men. Number one, we're all in this room unless Jesus returns. What's going to happen? We're going to die. We are in the same position that David is in. The Hebrews writer tells us in Hebrews 9 verse number 27 that it is appointed unto men once to die, and then what? Judgment. So notice what David is doing with Solomon. He's telling his son, I am going the way of all the earth, I'm going to die, and now you need to be strong. You need to be brave. You need to prove yourself to be a man because he knew that even Solomon one day would face what? Death and judgment. So now, what type of man are you going to be, Solomon? Now, I want to throw something out here to you. We have any cattle men in the room? Our area where I'm from, there's many a cattle man around. And you can always get sage advice from a cattle man. And so as I'm... Our son has been born, he's now 20... Well, he's a 92 model. Y'all can add that up. Uh, but... He's born, and so my son, he is uh, about five inches taller than I am. He outweighs me by about, oh, 60 pounds. And so one of our members, who's a cattleman, he came up to me and he said, you know what you've done? You've outproduced yourself. Now in the cattle business, what this means is, the cattlemen, they are examining the genetics of this particular cow and this particular bull, and if they come together, then this is what they're expecting to get, the product. Well, sometimes when a calf hits the ground and grows off, then they, they, they make the statement, he what? Outproduced himself. I think it ought to be the intention of every man in here that when we leave this walk of life, Spiritually speaking, we have outproduced ourselves. We've outproduced ourselves. We have helped to instill within young men the, the tools, the reasoning, the education, the knowledge, so that they will be much better than we ever were. That should be our goal. And if the church, if that is the church's goal, and if that is the men of the church, our goal, so that when we leave this walk of life, those men that we've been able to influence through our teaching and through our examples, they are much better than what we are. That ought to be our goal. And so as we think about this idea that David is presenting to Solomon, he says, I'm going to go the way of all the earth, and now I want you to be in this manner. I want you to be one who has proven yourself 
to be a man. Obey everything that God has told you to do, and the end result will be prosperity and blessing in the kingdom. And what about the church? Are we going to leave the church in better hands when we're gone than what it was when we came into the church? Once again, that should be our goal. To leave young men who are much better equipped, much better uh, in so many areas than what we were, and that should be our goal. That should be our purpose. And if, we're, if that's our goal, then will the church be blessed by that purpose being achieved? It'll be much better. And so as we think about the church and all of its glory, we have such a great responsibility of teaching boys to be men. Now, with that brief introduction, now let's look at culture. What's culture like today? Well, as Brother Cody brought up, unless you've had your head stuck in the sand somewhere, then we are, we're not being besieged. It's not an assault. It's an all-out mission of destruction. When we think about 21st century culture, it's as if we have to apologize for being what? Men. We have to apologize. And then I think even as the ladies are being addressed by Sister Evelyn, there's even some sense of shame in being a woman. It's as if society is absolutely what when it comes to, to gender. What is the dominant word? Confusion. And, it's, and as I stated in the, uh, in the booklet, I would like to think that if you go and ask someone on the street that you would get an answer that we would think, okay, this is one that I can agree with. But I'm not that naive. I'm not naive enough to think that when you turn to Hollywood and Hollywood's understanding of what culture and genetics and gender and roles and all of that is, we're not going to get an answer from Hollywood that's going to be in accordance with the Bible. We're not going to get an answer even in metropolitan America. Uh, folks, we wouldn't have to drive very far in Austin to find someone who has a distorted view of what? Genders. They're confused. Uh, you know, a few years ago, it hadn't been uh, too long ago, that Target, the store chain, they had all of that where, you know, neutrogender. Uh, restrooms and all of that. And so, you know, it's just a confusing mess. But it's not just Hollywood, and it's not just major metropolitan areas, even where I'm from. Folks, we have a less than a thousand people in the town where I live. Matter of fact, we're closer, you know, we get a little over 500 and we round it up to 600. We are a rural setting. But you know, even in that rural setting, we have children, we have young men who are struggling with their identity as men. They struggle with it. And this is where that the acronym, the LB, got to do this, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, Q. Always wondered what the Q was. 
Any of y'all know? Questioning. They're questioning. They don't know which way they're going yet. Now these others, I guess, have completely identified with where they are. And so that's not my point though to, to dwell on that. But culture has never been in accord with the will of God. Common culture has never been. You think about the fact that when we became New Testament Christians, we were called out of the world, out of the culture of the world, and we were transplanted into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Therefore, we are to have our mind renewed, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and when our mind is renewed, then our thinking will be renewed, and we are now in accordance and find ourselves lining up with the teaching of God. But, culture has never been what we look to for guidance per se. We are turning ourselves to the Word of God so that we might find instruction. So, once again, I don't want to belabor this point because as Cody brought up and as we are fully aware, culture is not the norm. But this is what I want us to get to. Let's clarify some things. First of all, go with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and we'll be running... Uh, several references here for just a few moments, so uh, have your Bible open, Psalm 139. And then as you're writing and taking some notes, if you are uh, doing so, then you might just put right out there beside or in your notes, uh, Psalm 139, beginning in 13, going through 16, you might just write Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. But notice what the psalmist says in this particular verse. 13 through 16, Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me were as yet, uh, were as, when as yet there were none of them. Notice what the psalmist is declaring. God formed him in his mother's womb, in his inward parts. You saw me before I ever appeared on the scene of time is what the psalmist is talking about, before I ever came forth from the womb. And he says, you made me. Same thing Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 1, 5 and following. You formed me. Men, we are made as men, and as such, we are to bring glory to God in our manhood. Same thing with women. Women are gloriously formed and made, and when they come forth, they are gloriously made, and they are to glorify God in their womanhood. And we don't need to step back and apologize for being men and wanting to honor God and the roles that He has given us. We need to be reminded again of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. The head of every man is whom? Christ. And the head of every woman is man, but the head of Christ is whom? God. 
There is, as one of our elders at Fruitvale describes it, he says, there is a pecking order. There's God, Jesus, man, and woman. That's by whose design? Now brethren, I am a man because God saw fit that that's how I was to be made. A man. And now as I think about it, and you might want to just sort of consider this, the context is a little bit different in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but as Paul is talking about that in 1 Corinthians 6, he says now, I'm not my own, I belong to whom? Therefore I am to glorify God in this body. This body God gave me. So therefore, as we think about our manliness, we are to honor God in the role that He gave us. And so, while culture is confused, Scripture is very clear. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. The New American Standard Version, I like the way that it reads. It says we are to be on the alert. Stand fast in the faith. Act like men. How do men act? How do men act? How are we supposed to act? Do what? Got to have a chest. How are men to act? Like men. Well, once again now, that depending on who you ask, you get a loaded answer. You get a, an odd answer. But when we think about what the Bible says, and they're giving us instruction as to how men are to act. How men are to act. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. And when he's identifying there to the church in Corinth and to the men, particularly as he's bringing this thought to them, the first thing that he tells us as men is to be what? And be alert. Why do you need to be alert? Why do I need to be alert? Do what? Danger is close. Danger is close. Now, you know, I'm not very good at playing a devil's advocate. You know, from time to time, I'm not very good at taking the side of trying to persuade somebody and playing that devil's advocate role because I just can't carry it off. I can't present that. And yet, whenever we think about those individuals who are uh, thinking that we need to change the way we, we, uh, we look and the way that we act and the way that we respond and the things that we do, they're much slicker at doing those things than what we are. But I know when I look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the New King James says, watch. The New American Standard says, be alert, because danger is close. Young people... All of you young men in here, danger is close. Who's trying to convince you that you don't need to behave in the manner in which God has told you you should? The devil? The world? Danger is ever close, so we as men must be alert. 
But not only must we be alert, we must stand fast where? In the faith. And I think we need to highlight that definite article, right? Stand fast in the faith. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Men, the best thing that us older men, you young men, the best thing us older men could do for you is to saturate you with Scripture. To instill within you a love for the unsearchable riches. That's the best thing we could leave you. Now we might, as your dads and as your um, um, relationships might be with individuals, we might leave you with physical inheritance. You might get some money, you might get a house, you might get the farm, you might get the car, whatever it is. You might get an inheritance. But the best inheritance we could ever leave you would be a spiritual one. So as we think about standing fast, yes, yes. Right. It's yes, it is. That's true. And very good comments. Thank you for that, Brother Mike. And as we think about uh, uh, Mike's comments, parents, how big a responsibility is it upon us, dads, men, to train up a child in the way he should what? Go. Now that presupposes that, as Brother Mike has mentioned, we know how to what? Go. We set them on that right course, that right path. And so we have our young men and we are trying to instill within them man, uh, manliness qualities, manhood qualities. So now, be on the alert, be steadfast, act like a man. What's your definition of what a man looks like? Jesus, that's a great one. Do what, Brother Foy? That is. What does a man look like?
Right. And when we, when we turn to those sort of answers and we get away from the Word of God, then what are we leaning upon? My own understanding. So we've got to turn to the Bible. And Brother Foy is right. Uh, some people see man, uh, you know, you see a, a fella and he's cruising down the road and, you know, stereotypical, I know, illustration here, but he's cruising down the road and he's riding one of those big Harleys. And he's got the big, full, bushy beard. And he's flying down the road. And you assume what? That's a, that's a man. Uh, who were role models or who were images of role models that you can remember uh, growing up? My dad? Good ones. If they're Christians and they're faithful, then they're good ones. Uh, how many grew up thinking John Wayne was their role model? Anybody? I remember sitting with my dad on Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings and we would watch cartoons and then by that time Saturday afternoon we rolled around and what would we have? You got, you know, we didn't have all the channels that you guys had. We had 33, 39, 27, 11, 5, 8. That was it. So we would change the antenna and everything and we'd watch those Saturday shoot-ups. And so there'd be Roy Rogers and there would be... That's what I grew up on. Who'd you grow up on? Pokemon. Pee Wee Herman. I mean, that's, that's, that's culture. And culture dictates things to us. And so, I grew up with looking at what I thought would be a stereotypical male. And uh, that's what a man was. But then when you look at John Wayne... He wasn't a moral man. He wasn't. But now he had things that endeared him to so many. But what does a real man look like? Let me give you a few things very quickly. Number one, a real man has a right relationship with God. That's the foremost characteristic of what a real man looks like. He would say, as Joshua of old did in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we're going to serve whom? The Lord. Now, if I paraphrase what Joshua said, Joshua in essence says to the rest of the world and to the rest of the Israelite nation, you do what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to do what? We're going to serve the Lord. Well, we need to model that. We need to make sure that we have men who have a right relationship with the Lord. We know that we are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. We have obeyed the gospel. We are New Testament Christians. We have set our affections where? Above, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. That's where our mind is. Is that going to permeate into our children? Is that going to be seen and evident as Brother Mike brought up that I'm seeking to serve God first and foremost? 
That's what type of men we need to be. That's what type of examples we need to set for our younger men. We need to be men who keep the world in check. Any of you struggle with worldliness? Let me phrase that differently. Anyone in here not struggle with worldliness? Brethren, we have to admit worldliness is a real pull. If it wasn't, then we wouldn't have 1 John 2, 15-17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If it wasn't a pull, then we wouldn't have the admonition by Paul of Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we are to renew the thinking of our mind. We are not to be conformed to this. How easy does that happen? And this is what I see. It's not that we go whole hog worldly. It's as if we're just kind of a hybrid. We have this allegiance over here with Christ on one hand, but then there's some areas in which we're really just what? Worldly. Now this is my question. If this describes me, will my children see through that? Children are the most perceptive people on the face of the earth. Yes, Brother Mike. Right. Right. So I'm going to be a man with the right relationship with God and I'm going to have the world in check. Now does that mean that uh, I'm going to be, as Brother Mike brought up, am I going to be sinlessly perfect by doing that? No. But what's my intention? My intention is to be sinlessly perfect. And when I have uh, missed the mark, then brethren, it's horrendous. To me, I've missed the mark. It's not something, well, well, I did that again. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that God's a God of grace and mercy, which He is. But God is not one to just wink and overlook willful what? Sinfulness. He's not. So I can't deceive myself into thinking that I can just keep being involved in this same sin year, 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 year after year. No, we need to make sure that we are keeping the world in check. Men, appreciate the honor of work. Work. And I know preachers, we get tagged all the time as as men that work how many days a week? One. You just work one day a week. Well, uh, okay, we'll just let that lay right there. But we need to honor work. First Timothy five four through eight. 
We have the responsibility as every other man to provide for our families, to provide for the things that they need physically. We have that obligation. We need to honor work. But this is something that we need to keep in mind because this is something that's very easy. Can I ever get to the point where I no longer am working to live, but I'm living to work? And we justify that in our mind. And so our children, they observe that. And then they see what? They see, well, daddy's going to put work before what? The Lord. That, and there, you know, I know that's a hard line to, to balance and a hard line to walk, but we have to make that decision that I'm going to work to live, not live to work. We call that a workaholic. Workaholic. And our children see that and they see, well, you know, Daddy, you know, he talks sometimes about the church and how important it is, but then by his demonstration, it's really not that important. And so we need to make sure that we have an appreciation and an honor for work because it is a good thing. And when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he tell them to do? Work. Keep the garden. It was honorable. And so there is a line that we can walk, and we need to show that to our children. Another thing I want us to think about is we think about what a man looks like. He's a man with the right relationship with God. He's a man that keeps the world in check. He's a man that appreciates the honor of working. He's one that is known by his character. We're not going to go through this, but just mark this down. Why should we not have instilled in every man all the elder qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1? Whether you ever serve as an elder or not, that's not the point of I'm going to uh, be an elder and I think serving as as an elder in the Lord's church, that is the highest um, uh, place of honor and position we could have. But as you think about the elders... If an elder desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Well, why don't I develop those characteristics that are found there, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, so that then I might have those characteristics, that I might show that, and will that, will that show me to be a, a man? A God-man. That's what I'm after. Number five, a man honors marriage. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Then you go through the rest of that verse, but there's some who are going to be judged by God because they're abusing what? Marriage. That arrangement. So men are to be those who honor marriage. We think about Genesis 2.23 and 24. In that early scene where Adam and Eve are in the the garden and they're brought together, there is a companionship that we desperately need in marriage that we will not get anywhere else. Nowhere else. There's a companionship there, a helpmeet. There is the proper place for the producing and raising of children in marriage. Real men will honor marriage. There's more we could say on that, but I'm not going to dwell on that any longer. Uh, A real man would be a 
godly husband. He will love his wife. He will fulfill his role as we think about Ephesians 5, 25 going through verse 33. He's going to be the head of his house. He's going to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church. He's going to do all things that are beneficial for the, uh, the family. And that is a man who is going to show the characteristics of God in his life. And it's going to be evident to all. All right. So now, what can we do for these younger ones? Pray earnestly for them. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In our local congregations, however many of those young men that we're talking about teaching young men to be boys, as we set the example, we follow the pattern that God has given us. We're not influenced by culture. We see that example uh, that we are to be, we set that before them, then we pray for them, and we pray that we might outproduce ourselves in them so that they'll be better than we are. Number two, teach them by word and by example what men do, and then encourage them to follow God. Encourage them, encourage their parents who are doing things in the right way. Now in closing, Ezekiel sought for a man. Ezekiel 22.30 Jeremiah ran through the city searching for one man. And if he could have found him, what would have, been, what would have happened? Saved. They'd have been saved. David told his son, you behave like a man. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 16, tells us to act like a man. And if I will be the man that God would have me to be, then the psalmist also has something to say to me as well. Because I'll be a blessed man. I won't sit, I won't stand, I won't walk with the ungodly. I will be God's man. And in the process, I will glorify God, I will glorify the church, and I will be an example for all to follow. Thank you guys so much.